Okay, a new series called Aha Moments. As Brian said, it's through some of the parables in the book of Luke, and that's what we'll be doing this summer. So I want to make you work some today, okay? Can't be passive. You got to think and evaluate yourself. We'll do what was called a, a self-assessment. So we have six statements. They're in your program, and they're going to be on the screen. So I want to, you to give yourself a, the score on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being, I'm a rock star. I am like Jesus Christ. One being, not so much. All right? So give yourself a score, 1 to 10. Here's the first statement. It says, here's the first statement, my identity is so rooted in Christ's love for me that I live free from shame, guilt, condemnation, performance, and fear. 1 to 10. Be honest. 1 to 10. And actually do this, okay? Don't just like, eh, I'm not going to. No, no, come on. Do it. Number two. I take initiative for my personal spiritual growth by joyfully reading and studying God's Word regularly and pursuing God in prayer. Again, give yourself a grade. 1 to 10. Third statement. I generously and humbly give of myself, my talents, and my time to bless those around me, including friends, family, neighbors, and my church body. I'm trying to be a servant. Number four. I give money systematically, regularly, and sacrificially to build God's kingdom through the local church. How you doing? One to ten. And then only two more. I intentionally and willingly build into others what Christ has built into me, encouraging them, follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm actually trying to help somebody else grow closer to Jesus. Do what I do. Give yourself a grade, one to ten. Last one. I live out and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, graciously, lovingly, and truthfully with those in my areas of influence and beyond. So how are you doing sharing the good news with other people? All right. Told you it'd be work, right? A little uncomfortable. It's okay. Where did you score highest? You don't have to shout it out. <laughs> Where did you score highest? And you know the next question, right? Where did you score lowest? And what does that tell you about your fruitfulness, your productivity as a follower of Jesus? What does it tell you? Again, we're this series going through the parables of Jesus. And today we're dealing with what some have called the parable of the soils. Some have called the parable of the seed. Um, maybe I like best the parable of the sower. Because it makes the sower the hero of the story. And the hero of the story is the Lord Jesus himself. God himself. He's the, the sower. Uh, the sower is always the same in this story. The seed is always the same in this story. It's the word of God. The variable would be the soils. There are four different kinds of soils. And we're being invited as we look at this parable to do an evaluation of our lives. And the only way you can tell which kind of soil you are is by looking at the fruit of your life. The soil represents the human heart. And some hearts, some lives, bear fruit, and some don't. And that's why we wanted to start with like a self-evaluation. For all of us to evaluate, am I really bearing the fruit of the Christian life? See, bearing 
And bearing fruit is, is important, and inspecting fruit is necessary. This really matters because heaven and hell hang in the balance here. You got to know something about God. He's a fruit inspector. And he's looking at your life and mine to see if we're bearing fruit or not. And that means we got to be fruit inspectors too. Because in another place in the Bible, in John chapter 15, Jesus says uh, that branches that don't bear fruit are cut off and they wither and they cast, are casted to the fire and they're burned. So inspecting the fruit of your life is a necessary thing to do. Now, I think the Lord has two goals for us with this passage of Scripture. Uh, one would be to afflict the comfortable who shouldn't be comfortable. And the other is to comfort the afflicted who shouldn't be afflicted. Some of you here might think, man, I got my ticket punched to go to heaven because, you know, I show up at church and I align myself with conservative values and um, I made a profession of faith and I got baptized. But if you look hard at your life and if you're really honest, you would have to conclude that there's no evidence in your life that you're bearing fruit. There's no real fruit because all you wanted was a dollar's worth of God. Just enough to get you into heaven and no more. You just want some fire insurance and you're really satisfied with kind of casual, compromising, worldly, lukewarm Christianity. And if that's you, Jesus wants to afflict you in your comfort. And then others here, you have what I would call like an overly scrupulous conscience. Because you're always looking for reasons why you're not saved. Your life is filled with doubt and guilt and regret. But an honest look at your life, and there's evidence that you truly know God. There's evidence of your salvation. There's plenty of fruit. It's the enemy who is producing doubt in your life to steal your peace and joy and hope. And Jesus today wants to actually comfort you in your affliction. So in the story here, we are introduced to a farmer or a sower. And so he's, you know, probably carrying a bag slung over the shoulder. And he reaches in and he grabs some, some seed and he, he broadcasts the seed. Now, if, if you're a farmer, you can probably think, well, no, it's really important to make sure you put the right seed in the right ground at the right place. That's not what this sower does. And it's an illustration of God, who is very generous, very extravagant in how he broadcasts the seed everywhere to everybody. That's who God is. That's what God does. The seed is the word of God. And so some of the seed, Jesus says, falls on hard ground, and it doesn't bear fruit because the birds of the air come and they take away the seed and it doesn't have a chance to grow. Other seed is it falls on rocky soil and the plant sprouts up quickly. And then when the sun comes out, it withers because there's no room for deep roots. Other soil is thorny soil full of weeds and thistles. And when the seed is planted here, it grows, but the weeds and the thistles and the thorns grow along with it. And before it has a chance to bear fruit, the weeds overtake it 
and there's never any fruit. And finally, he says, there's some soil that's good, rich, fertile. Seed goes in, and it sprouts, and it bears fruit. Here in Luke, he says a hundredfold. In Matthew, he says, well, there's a hundredfold, there's 60-fold, and there's 30-fold. Bottom line, there's fruit. Now, the disciples hear the story, and they go, hey, could you please explain this to us? <laughs> and in fact, in Matthew, they also ask the question, why do you speak in these parables? So I want us to dive in at verse 9 here. When the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, Jesus said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. So notice this story is really about the kingdom of God. And what we're going to find, all these parables, all these stories in the book of Luke are really about the kingdom of God. So we've got to understand some things about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? This is the way life is lived when King Jesus has his way. When Jesus is actually ruling and reigning, when he is Lord and master of a life, that's the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God comes when he's having his way in you, through you, with you, and for you, at your home, in your neighborhood, in, at work, in all of your relationships. Because what Jesus wants to do is to scatter people of the kingdom throughout Northeast Ohio, wherever you go, you're an agent of the kingdom of God. You're supposed to be advancing the kingdom of God. It's why we pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Now we're living in a time where the king has come. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven and now we're waiting him on him to come back and set up his kingdom perfectly, fully, and finally. We're in this in-between time. So he's left us here to be agents of his kingdom wherever we work, wherever we live, wherever we play. We are to live our lives under the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ and bring the kingdom there. That's our job. And he says these stories are all about the kingdom. Now you got to understand something. This kingdom doesn't happen because of outside-in coercion. It happens because of inside-out conversion. It doesn't happen when people just reboot. It happens when people repent. It doesn't happen because of some kind of powerful leader. It happens because of a humble sower. So this kingdom doesn't come, you know, in pomp and circumstance. It's not like some meteor that just falls from the sky and crashes to the earth and makes this massive change. No, it happens because of a little tiny seed. It's the word of God. Some of us um, are probably a little bit more left-leaning politically than we are right-leaning. And so you're really happy when the Democrats are in power because now we're going to take care of the poor and now we're going to take care of the planet. And some of you here, you're probably a little bit more right-leaning than you are left-leaning. And you're happy when the Republicans are in 
place because now we'll take care of the sanctity of marriage and now we'll take care of the unborn. But Jesus says, the kingdom doesn't come because of a political party. The kingdom comes because of scattered seed. It's the word of God, not some political party that's going to win the day. And that's why we got to be, for Jesus, seed scatterers everywhere we go. If you want to change this culture, be all about scattering seed. Because it's that little seed that will transform human hearts and lives. Um, now, again, in Matthew, the disciples who heard this story said, why do you speak in parables? What's up with that? And if you went to Sunday school, you think you know the answer. I mean, the answer is, well, he spoke in parables because what he's doing, he's trying to make uh, something that's, uh, that's complex, more simple. Uh, these are earthly stories that have a heavenly meaning. These are common, everyday tales that illustrate uncommon, eternal truths. And so basically what Jesus is doing with parables, is he's like trying to make things clear. He's trying to put things on the bottom shelf so that anybody, everybody, everywhere can understand. Why did he use parables? To make things simple? No. Look at what he says in verse 10. To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they're in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. I mean, he knows that these parables are going to confound a whole lot of people. A whole lot of people. Now, what he's doing here is he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. The Isaiah the prophet in chapter 6 basically says, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So parables have been given to us so that there'll be really clear truths for some people and really confusing truths to other people. And this explains to us why to some people the story of Jesus... Uh, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, his return uh, so that we could be forgiven and we could be part of his kingdom. This, this story about new life in Christ is like pie in the sky after you die nonsense to some people, right? You know people like that. It's like, I, I, I don't get it. I don't know why you guys believe all that ridiculous stuff. And it also explains why to some people this message of Christianity is beauty and hope, and joy, and peace, and bread to our souls. Now, I have to ask you a question. Why do you look at the cross and see forgiveness, and other people look at the cross and see foolishness? Why? I mean, is it because you're smarter? Is it because you're better? Is it because you're somehow more noble? Of course, the answer to that has to be no. It's because this is a gift. Did you notice what he says here? To you, it has been given this secret of the kingdom. You get it because it's been given to you. And this is why you get it and some of your family members don't. It's why you get it and some of your coworkers don't. Jesus is revealing the truth to those who see the secrets and he's concealing the truth from people that just deny the obvious. Now, the great thing about this particular parable, unlike other parables, is he, he tells us what it's about. 
I mean, there's really no guesswork here. Some of the other parables that we're going to be talking about in this series, uh, we're going to have to work harder to understand it. This one is pretty plain, right? Uh, he talks about the hardened heart. And I'm going to read uh, the verse from where he first tells the story and then the verse from when he explains it. A sower went out to sow his seed, verse 5, and some fell along the path and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And then he explains it in verse 12. Like, what's that about? Here, here you go. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes it away so that they may not believe and be saved. I mean, the soil in the hearts of some people is like concrete. It is plowing concrete. Worldly traffic packs the dirt so hard there's no hope for a seed finding root in that heart. Satan and his tempters constantly pass over the heart with an assortment of lusts and lies. And human pride tramples down the dirt in the heart. And so the seed comes in, boom, no chance. And you might be here today. And frankly, you got a hard heart. It's like, dude, would that guy shut up and quit talking so I can get out of here and do what I'm supposed to do this afternoon? Maybe you're here because oh, it's a respectable place to be. Maybe you're here because, you know, it's what we do in our family. I don't really want to be here, but mom and dad just kind of make me come. Maybe you're here because being here helps you deal with some guilt in your life somehow. Maybe you're here because you're trying to convince yourself, you know, I'm really a pretty good girl. I'm really a pretty good guy. And you hear the Bible explained, and you don't necessarily like reject it but it never really affects you. I mean, you hear Jesus, you know, talked about, and you hear him prayed to, and you hear him, you know, sung about. Guys are playing songs beautifully for Jesus, about Jesus. You hear about his precious blood that he shed on the cross for your forgiveness. You're challenged. You need to look to him and live. But when it comes to your heart, it is plowing concrete. It just doesn't make a difference. And may God have mercy on you to break up that hardness of your heart so that you can receive the word of God, which implanted is able to save your soul. There's the hard heart. And then there's what you might call the shallow heart. Or maybe you could call it like the superficial heart. And again, he introduces this in verse 5 or verse 6. He says, And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Well, what's that about, Jesus? He explains it in verse 13. And the ones on the rock are the ones who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. They receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. These are people that hear the word of Christ and immediately, instantaneously, they believe it. And it says with joy, they profess faith in Christ. Their faith has all of the appearance of being genuine. And when you see it, like the seed has really sprouted, there's actually something growing here. And we all go, thank God, somebody just trusted Christ. But our joy in their faith would be premature. They spring up suddenly. They receive the word of joy, God with joy, 
but they don't really have depth because those rocks keep the roots from sinking deeply. And when the Christian life gets hard, when somebody challenges them or questions them, or when God doesn't come through for them when and how they want him to, somebody makes fun of their new Christian faith. They back away from Christ. It might just be a little at first, and then it becomes more, and then it becomes more. And then finally, they're just kind of lukewarm. They're just compromising. They're just worldly. I mean, they may still have a few warm feelings for Christ and for his cause, but they no longer like really hanging out with the sold out because that exposes them. They prayed the prayer. They raised their hand. They checked the box. They got baptized. But there's no real fruit in the life. Early in my ministry, I read the biography of a guy named George Whitfield. He was a famous communicator of the truths of Scripture in England and in America. And when he would speak, he would speak to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And, and sometimes believers would come up to him afterwards and say, like, how many trusted Christ today? How many people got saved today? How many people's lives were transformed today? And here's what he would say. I don't know. It's going to take a few years before we find out. Now, he's not saying that they have to earn their salvation. He's just saying time will tell if they're real or not. Time and trouble test the genuineness of a person's heart. And the reason these people fall away is because when they get laughed at or when they're exposed to just a little opposition, they go back. I just wonder, will some pastor have to do someday what I have to do sometimes? And that is stand before a crowd at a funeral service and have to struggle to find some evidence that this person truly knew Christ. I mean, I asked the family, hey, did they ever underline anything in their Bible? You know, did they have some favorite Bible verses? Did they have some favorite spiritual sayings? Did they have some songs that they liked? Uh, did, did they volunteer and serve in the life of a church? I mean, I mean, you got anything that you can give me about their spiritual life. And sometimes they got nothing. I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to bear fruit for God. And don't let some opposition and some persecution and some ridicule crowd out your faith. The crowded heart. Look at what he says. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it well what's that about Jesus he explains it in verse 14 and as for what fell among the thorns they are those who hear but as they go on their way they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature listen underline this verse highlight this verse put a box around it a circle around it put asterisks by it 
Because you know what? This is a verse for people just like us right here in Northeast Ohio in a nice, cozy little suburb. It's for us. It's especially scary for people in the Western world where riches and cares and pleasures are thorns that are so very prevalent. Listen, thorns don't choke out the seed suddenly. They choke out the seed gradually. And just because you've got a past testimony doesn't necessarily guarantee you will have a future testimony. And sometimes the older people get in Christ, the more enmeshed with the world they become, the more addicted to comforts they become. Don't be so prideful to think this couldn't happen to you because when you start thinking this could never happen to you, that's when you're in the most danger. And notice what chokes out the word. Three things. Cares or worries, riches, and pleasures. It might be what you have that chokes out the word. It might be what you wish you had that chokes out the word. So I want us to build a list here this, this uh, morning of some things that can distract us. So this is your time to talk to me, okay? So let's build a list. Think about Cares, riches, and pleasures. And let's just name some of them. You can, you can come up with a better list than me. So guys in the booth are going to type some things out. So what are some things that can choke out the word? Cares, riches, and pleasures. <laughs> I didn't see what happened. What happened? I, the word of God has been choked out of the people in the booth. I can tell you that right now. Okay, what can choke out this, the Word of God? <laughs> TV, houses, money, and playing on your phone. <laughs> Let's just call it the iPhone. Let's just, unless you're an Android. Androids can choke it out too. Hey, by the way, by the way, if you're spending more time looking at tweets of people that you hate and responding to them rather than reading the Bible. I mean, you can put the Bible on your phone. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, work. Sports. False teachers. I'm sorry? Anxiety, yes. Kids. All right, all right, let's stop there for a second. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first one. And you might be a rock star in your neighborhood or in your school because you're a parent that puts your kids first. But if you put your kids before God, you're an idolater, right? Okay, kids, what else? What's that? Addictions. Yeah. Drugs, alcohol. Yeah. What else? Fear, legalism. All right. I need, I got room for one more. Friends. What? Somebody said politics. All right. We got room for politics. We got to put politics. In there. <laughs> I'm just telling you, some of you, I follow some of you on Facebook. And if, and if, and if you, if you tweeted and Facebooked about Jesus as much as you do about some politician you hate, 
Okay, so look at the list. In case you didn't know, I used to be, emphasis used to be a baseball player. And I will say this, there was a time in my life when baseball actually was choking out the Word of God. My junior and sophomore years in college, that was definitely true about me. The idea is, look at that list, besides baseball, <laughs> look at that list and see if you can um, identify something on that list that may be choking the Word of God out of your life right now. And maybe there's something that should be up there that's not up there, that's, that's your issue. Pick one, just pick one. And then you don't have to bow your heads, close your eyes, but you can pray right here, right now. And you can say, dear Lord, um, my work is an idol. It, it's crowding out the word of God for my life. I'm going to put that on the altar. I'm going to give that to you. And I want to ask you to help get that out of my life so that I can bear fruit for your glory. So take some time, pray right here, right now about that thing. The crowded heart. It gives a token affection to Jesus while giving a focused affection to the things of the world. Now, Nancy DeMoss said this, the primary interpretation of this passage, I believe, is referring to three different groups of people who do not possess salvation, compared to the fourth group, those who do. Here, here's, here's what a lot of us like to do, is we like to go, well, the plant grew here, so they must really be saved. And the plant grew here, so they must really be saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying they don't bear fruit. They're not saved. You're not going to get to heaven with no fruit. And so what we want is obviously the fertile heart. And again, in verse 8, he says it this way, some fell into good soil and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. And verse 15 he explains it. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now again, Matthew, when he told this story, he said some bear hundredfold fruit, some bear 60, some bear 30. So it appears that there are different levels of fruit bearing. Some followers of Jesus are frankly more productive than others, but don't miss this. Every true follower of Jesus, every good heart that receives the word of God will bear fruit. Some fruit. If there's no fruit, there's no root. If there's no evidence, there's no reality. Faith without works is dead, James says in the New Testament. So if you're on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And it's all a matter of the heart. Because the soil represents the human heart. And he says here this fertile heart is uh, uh, sticky because it says here it holds the seed fast. And it is honest, good, fruitful, and patient. So look at that list and ask yourself, is that my heart? 
Now, I want to hurry to say, Jesus doesn't say that the good ground has absolutely no thorns or no thistles in it. In fact, the great commentator Matthew Henry said, stones or thorns may be found in the good soil of a true believer's heart, but such obstructions do not finally prevent him from bearing fruit. Despite your remaining sin, is your life bearing fruit for God? So I'm not saying that your heart has to be perfect. There may be stones in there. There may be some weeds in there, but it's not going to choke out the fruit. And, and, and if you're a true follower of Christ, you're going to go to Christ just like we just did and say, Jesus, please get out the rocks, get out the thorns, because I want to bear maximum fruit for your glory. Because see, there are some of us in this room, you're like asking, okay, 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 dude, dude, all right, chill. Just relax, man. How much fruit do I have to bear? I mean, can I just bear like 20-fold? How about tenfold? Or, or what if it's just fivefold? Is that, is that good enough? And I just want to say, if, if that's the question you're asking, your soul is in danger. That's the wrong question. What kind of heart do you have? Again, earlier in this book of Luke, in chapter 3, Jesus says this, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I'm not making this up. I'm just trying to say what Jesus is saying. This is why it's important that we're fruit inspectors, especially if you're looking at the fruit of your own life. We were made to bear fruit. Are you bearing fruit for God? See, see the soil is representative of the heart. And you've probably heard, if you've been around here a little bit, me say this before, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. There's a heart issue. That's the issue. So left to ourselves, you know what? Our hearts are going to be just like this or this or this if we're just left to ourselves. But thankfully... God and His grace doesn't just leave us to ourselves. In, in, in um, the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, we see something that God does. In verse 25, chapter 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take your old hard heart away and I'm going to give you a soft heart. And then notice what happens. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What's evidence that your heart has been changed from a hard heart to a soft heart is the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life and you have a desire to actually obey God you're going to do what God says to do. You're not saved by your works, but if you are saved, you will work. It is God, the sower, who actually turns hard, non-productive hearts into soft, fruitful hearts. And therefore, this is why we must pray. We need to pray for ourselves. And we need to pray for the people that we love who, frankly, are characterized by these soils. 
Matt Dolezal is a young leader here at CBC. He lived out this parable in his own life. I asked him about it this past week. And I said, hey, was there a time in your life when you had heard things from the word of God, but it wasn't really bearing fruit in your life? And here's what he said. In my early season, as an undisciplined believer, not follower, that's important language. He believed, but he didn't follow. There was little evidence of change in my life. He says, the few times I actually read scripture, the words were like a foreign language to me. I asked, well, how was the seed of the word of God being sown in your life at that time? He says, well, I felt a calling to God's word, but my motives in reading were prideful and selfish. I was not seeking the Lord for his glory or even to be changed. I mean, he was a good dude. Showing up at church, trying to be a good guy, live a good life. But the seed wasn't doing anything in his life. I asked him, what happened to your heart to make the word of God take root and become fruitful through your life? He, gets, he said, the Lord humbled me and opened my ears to his word in CBC's Outpour series in 2011. And since that time of awakening, God has given me a truly miraculous hunger to know his truth and to be in community and to disciple young believers. Well, what kind of fruit do you see in your life right now? He says, God's word is the Lord's way of changing our hearts, resulting in much fruit. I experience the most spiritual growth in my relationship with the Lord when I'm most disciplined in reading the word daily, when my heart is cultivated and ready and willing for the spirit to work freely. And then he identifies the fruit. Peace, patience, and passion. I love that. Passion for Jesus, right? Are the most descriptive words for the fruit Jesus has produced in my life. I mean, do you see what Matt is saying here? He's saying there was a time in his life when he believed in his head about God and Jesus in the Bible, but it had not penetrated his heart. So there was no fruit. He wasn't a bad guy. He just didn't get it. I mean, the stories about the Bible and Jesus and all of that, it was like a foreign language to him. He could see, but he couldn't see. He could hear, but he couldn't hear. So his heart was not soft and fertile and fruitful. He had not been awakened yet. And that might be right where some of you are today. You need to beg Jesus, please give me a soft heart. You need to beg Jesus, sow your seed into my heart. You need to beg Jesus, let it sprout and let it grow and let it bear fruit in my life. Because if that doesn't happen for you, you're not saved. Now, do you remember those statements at the very beginning, those six statements where you did that self-assessment? It's in your program. It's a way for you to evaluate your life in Christ. I, I was in Charleston doing some training this past week, and, and I asked the staff and our creative team, can you guys create some statements? And so they did. Six statements. Why six statements? Well, look around the room. Phrases and words on the wall, on the balconies. Beloved child, self-feeder, servant, investor, discipler, missionary. They designed statements to go with these words. Because you know what these words represent? The fruit of new life. 
These are the things that we're supposed to become as followers of Jesus. And some of us, we might want to reassess ourselves now that we've spent some time in this passage of Scripture. So I'm glad it's in your program. Don't throw it away. Take it home and get with God and say, God, help me to do an accurate self-assessment. Some of you, you were way too easy on yourself. You gave yourself a pass when you really shouldn't have given yourself a pass because you're not bearing this fruit of new life and that is exposing your heart. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's shallow. Maybe it's crowded. Jesus is here today in the person of his Holy Spirit and he is walking around this room and he wants to afflict the comfortable. And yeah, there are some others who were too hard on yourself. And as you honestly look at your life and you say, Jesus, help me to get an accurate self-assessment, there is fruit. You're not perfect and you're not who you want to be, but you are bearing fruit. Some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. The fruit's there and that is demonstrating you've got a soft, fertile heart. And Jesus, through the person of his Holy Spirit, is here today and he wants to comfort the afflicted. Now I want you to be thinking about people that you know, maybe even your own family. Some of us parents, we've seen our kids make a profession of faith, but the honest truth is that this is really where they are. Maybe they raised their hand at a VBS, vacation Bible school, or a sports camp, and you go, boy, glad that's done. And I just want to say, you need to pray like crazy that God will transform that heart into a fertile heart. And some of us have co-workers like that. Some of us have other family members that are like that. And so there's a prayer that I want to show you on the screen. Dear Lord Jesus, you're the sower. Your word is the seed. Please come to whoever that person is for you. That who's your one person? That one person you want to see come to faith in 2019 Please come to that person and do a gracious, merciful work in his or her heart. Wherever the heart is hard, make it soft. Wherever the heart is shadow, make it deep. Wherever the heart is crowded, make it fertile. Lord, give, fill in the blank, a good heart that bears fruit for you. Listen, the sower is the star of the story. He's got the seed. And we need to ask that sower, don't only just sow, but plow up some fallow ground so that the seed can be planted in a way that is able to save the soul. Father, make it so for my who's your one. Make it so for hundreds of who's your ones and twos and threes and fours. And then, Father, I pray that you'd make it so for every single person in this room. Do your work that only you can do. In Jesus' name.